0: Welcome to episode 61 of the AppAdvice Weekly Podcast. I'm Brett Nolan of AppAdvice.net, and with me as always is Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice. In this episode, Trevor and I try to stay in sync as we embark on a illuminating journey around the bases and across virtual rivers. How are you doing tonight, Trevor? Doing good. It's quite
1: a artistic and creative expressionist week for yes. all the releases. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a nice mix of things this week, which was, it, it's always good rather than having like sticking to one little theme or one type of game. This is kind of all over the place.
1: Yeah, so that way it appeals to multiple different listeners. And we have our usual Apple news, new apps and new games, all three sections are filled. So we'll start with Apple news in that Apple released iOS 11.3. And this has actually been a long time coming. It's been, you know, we've had 11.2.6 for quite a while. And with 11.3, there's now the new battery health tool. So you can see what, the, essentially it's in beta, but it tests your, like, what percentage remaining of your battery. There's an update to AR Kit. It's 1.5. There's a new business chat. There's four new emojis or emojis, and just a bunch of kind of little adjustments, including new health records feature and various app store changes
0: yeah the the battery health is kind of interesting because this is the one that tells you like you could have used a third party app and I used one on my on my old iphone six plus just to check but this is the thing that now Apple built this in so you can see what your max battery life is left in your device. It'll help you decide if you want to go get that battery replacement for twenty nine dollars. I actually didn't think I was going to see any loss on my iPhone 10 when I installed it on there. And surprisingly, when I went in, it said I was at 98% max battery life after just about five months of usage, which I guess in the grand scheme of things, isn't too bad, but still I was kind of surprised. And then I had my older brother checked in on his, he was at a hundred percent. And so he tends to charge, I believe using, just the the wireless charging for the most part i think he does have a uh like a docking station which plugs his phone and his apple watch and so that i believe is like he plugs it in at night but i don't know what is his kind of routine is is how often he's plugging in or recharging i tend to recharge only like at the end of the day or when I get in my car, I'll plug it in. Otherwise, when I'm at home, if I see it kind of losing power, I'll plug it back in. But I don't let it run all the way down usually before I plug it in. Someone else on the internet, when I posted on Twitter that mine was at 98%, said they were at 96%. So I don't know how accurate this is or if I should be worried, but it's interesting data points that to see how it affects these, even the iPhone 10.
1: Well, if you lost 2% every five months, that's not too bad.
0: Right, right. And in fact, when I plugged in the 6 Plus and I updated that to uh, the iOS 11.3, it said it was only at 70% max battery life. And this thing lasts maybe like half an hour before it dies. If you're actively doing anything or you leave the screen on, if you can leave it kind of idle with everything turned off, it can last a couple of days, but... Its battery, I thought, was far worse than 70%. And then
1: augmented reality AR kit 1.5 allows you to place digital objects on vertical surfaces like walls and doors instead of just flat like we have now. And then Animoji, there's four new ones lion, bear, dragon, and skull. And then the business chat and the health records are both in beta, but it lets you kind of have built-in iMessage communication for business like a Slack type of setup and then for health records you can actually have your lab results immunizations and more right built into your health app
0: yeah yeah so that's useful to have that all kind of in one place especially if your device is there and maybe you can't talk people could look at if they can get into your phone if you allow someone to get in your phone they can look up this information if it's useful in an emergency situation one kind of an unannounced feature that well i knew it was coming but they didn't really make a big deal of it is if you're someone who has a iphone 10 you tend to use face id for approving purchases or app store purchases You couldn't use Face ID to approve like if you had Family Share and turned on and your kids have to ask permission to purchase an app. For some reason, it didn't do that auto-translate from Touch ID to Face ID, so you had to type in your password every time. Well, now this is finally fixed in 11.3 where you can just look at your phone to approve your kids' purchases if you have that set up where they have to ask permission.
1: And so there's a bunch of smaller things, but that's kind of the big headlines. And it seems like there's no big problems or bugs or anything. So it's worth going to uh, iOS 11.3 on your iPhone and iPad.
0: Yep. Safe to to update.
1: Yep. And then there's some rumors going on, too. Bloomberg's reporting that Apple is planning to move away from Intel and use custom Mac chips as early as 2020. And so Apple already makes all the A-Series chips for the iPhone, the iPad, the Apple TV, the Apple Watch, all that good stuff. But now they really want to build upon that to transfer it over to the Mac. And so everything they've done with the A-Series chip, you know, there's great power management. It's made for mobile on the go. So they're not like the super heavy-duty power-hungry. Apple's kind of been testing a low-end one for the MacBook. But the question is, can they make super powerful ones for the MacBook Pro or even a Mac Pro? Because they haven't done it. It's not that they can't, but so far their track record is for mobile devices. They're absolutely nailing the A-Series chip. It really outperforms everything else for mobile processing. But can they compete with Intel on the Mac side? We don't know, but they sure are definitely going to try.
0: Yeah, uh, my guess is if it's coming to this, they already have been working on this for a while and I think they they are going to be able to do this. Uh, it may not work perfectly right out of the gate, having given the recent track record they've had, but I I can definitely see them being able to easily get this done. The the one thing I thought was kind of interesting which I didn't realize they had that I guess I should have, but Supposedly, I, they're responsible for about 5% of Intel's revenue right now. So that's going to be a, a pretty sizable hit for Intel when this does switch over. Granted, it's probably going to be in phases, but eventually to phase out one of their their biggest users, is it's going to eventually hurt them.
1: Yeah, and so part of the reason is that Apple's had to delay some of their MacBook releases or just wait for Intel to be ready. Regardless, they, instead of deciding when to release new MacBooks, Intel's deciding when Apple's going to release new MacBooks. So this way they can kind of put it all in-house to make it and pull it off and then not have to pay Intel. They can then make it themselves and customize it. The real big question, though, is that when we get to 2020, 2021, when they're able to do this, is it going to be a smooth transition are they going to have an emulator how are the apps going to work existing apps are they going to give developers like a year notice to update their apps if apps are never updated are you still going to be able to use old mac apps that were made for intel processors so hopefully they're thinking about all those little things beyond just creating you know new silicon to put on their devices
0: right right and i'm hoping well this could also help with that whole thing where People were hoping that you'd have a universal app that would now allow you to play on a Mac, on your phone, on an iPad, on an Apple TV, and switching to kind of like a common architecture across all of their devices. That would definitely go that way, help to facilitate that. But yeah, it's probably... I don't know how they're going to do this transition, and it's going to be a shame if all of a sudden you have a lot of stuff that either doesn't work or it doesn't uh, work that well because of this. I mean, one other big thing that they're avoiding by getting away from Intel is there was that whole security problem that happened recently last year, so – they're not they're they're kind of holding everything in their own destiny rather than relying on someone else which tends to be the apple way where they really want control over everything and this would allow them to do it
1: and the funniest part is that apple did this you know there was all those power pcs but then it just wasn't up to snuff so they shifted to intel and now here we are going full circle back to apple creating their own chips
0: Right, yeah, but it's been, what, like, that was 2005, I believe, that all that Uh switched over, so it's been quite a few years, they've learned a lot, especially with all the phones and the chips they made for the phones, so hopefully, yeah, they've now got the knowledge they need to do what they wanted to do before, but couldn't.
1: And they certainly have the money, since they have like $280 (laughs) (laughs) just lying around. (laughs) And so that's pretty much the Apple news for the week, so that means it's time for some apps. And an interesting one this week is all about augmented reality. It's called WWF Free Rivers, and that is World Wildlife Federation, not World Wrestling Federation. So (laughs) hopefully you – that's been like over a dozen years. So hopefully you know that this is all about the environment. And so essentially the app lets you find a flat surface, point your device at it, and then – Uh, interactive kind of river environment appears like on your table or something so then you know you have the full augmented reality where you can move your device to zoom in you can pan and spin around walk around the table to get different angles of the environment and it's set up with these different scenarios where the first one it shows kind of like a river delta and if you build a dam in a certain spot it destroys the delta and the sediments that can get left over when it floods. And so then you want to maybe augment a smaller dam off to the side and then use wind turbines to help build up more energy instead of just hydropower. So it's just kind of a balancing act to make you aware of human, humanity's impact on the environment directly with specific examples and how it can be changed with a more modern
0: approach. Yeah, and so it's it was a little kind of stumbly when I first started to try to use it, but my daughters were right next to me while I was doing. It, and they were really getting into it and be able to like look in and really like walk in and zoom in and look. You can see this reminded me a lot of the type of things they would show, and maybe they even showed this during that educational uh, presentation that they gave. and just be able to have the kids really kind of feel like they're they're getting into this and it's right there in front of them. I can I could see it right in front of my own eyes because I could see how it like they just lit up looking at this and like, whoa, that's so cool. And I wanna learn this kind of I wanna see what this is all about. So it's it kind of gamifies learning and just makes it a much more interesting experience than your typical let's read it in a book and, and look at a couple of pictures.
1: Yeah. So that way you have that direct interactive piece right in front of you. And then it's more than just either even like a documentary video where you're just kind of hands off. This gets you where you have to tap each kind of item in the environment and see where the dam is positioned or see how the flood engages or when you put the dam, how the rest of the environment is impacted. And so you get to see it live right beneath your fingertips, as well as in your own home with augmented reality. So it just kind of brings that whole idea to life. It's like a science exhibit at like a discovery center, but in your house, on your own iPad, no special setup beyond that.
0: Right. Yeah. And you get to focus on what you want to learn about, what you want to focus on. It's not like if you were watching a documentary, you're going to see the filmmaker's perspective and he's going to focus on certain things. This you can literally walk around the table and look at exactly the thing that you want to look at. You can peek in. You don't have to worry about knocking over some expensive thing. It's it's virtual. It's all right there. So, yeah, it's personalized experience as well.
1: Yep, and so that's WWF, Free Rivers. It's free and it's universal. Hopefully a Free Rivers app would be free. <laughs> <laughs> and that means it's time for some new games. The first one this week is called Yumiro. And it comes from, or it's published by the makers of Her Majesty and Reigns and a few other games. And they have quite an eye for g- good games. And so Yumiro is an interesting concept because it's like a teamwork-based Puzzle platformer combined with a path drawing game. So, the classics like Flight Control Harbor Master 33rd Division are the core control concepts, but then it's applied where you have a green guy and a pink woman, and you need to essentially drag them to their corresponding colored diamonds. And there's also a collectible yellow diamond along the way. And you need to be able, you have to lock in both of their paths together. So you have to plan out everything. It's not like an action thing. So you get to think about it, puzzle over it, and then see if I move the green guy over here, I can avoid these different obstacles and then maybe trigger a gate or a switch. And then that opens the path for the red girl to then go through. And so as you proceed, you get to see how there's different paths and switches and you might have to know, Like draw circles for the red girl to bide her time until the green guy gets into position to trigger something or vice versa. And you just keep kind of building upon that core mechanic, though it's still accessible with just path drawing.
0: Right. Yeah, it's a neat puzzle game because you have to control those two people and you really have to get them synchronized, but you're drawing their paths at different times. So after you've drawn the first, say, Huey, the green guy, you draw him to his crystal, then you'll see as you start to drag Satora and drag her to the red crystal, you'll see... Huey move so you can kind of see his path that he's moving so you can kind of time it out the only problem is the obstacles may not necessarily be moving the way that they would move when you hit play because what you do is you draw out both of those paths and then you decide when you want to hit play so there's other things moving on the screen that you can't have the characters touch but you need to time the the hit the play button so that the movements that you just drew also coincide with the movements of these other objects where you're not going to collide with them, or you trigger those switches at just the right time that then the second guy will walk through this area where he can move now because the switch was triggered and, switches can only be triggered once so once you flip certain things then they're kind of stuck that way for the rest of that level so you really kind of have to plan things out and then it's all this kind of like trial and error and you can erase one character's line and then when you draw their line again you'll see the other character's movement like you did the first time around so you it's almost like a lot of trial and errors are going back and forth but it's that whole mix of like puzzle and even a little bit of dexterity because you have to time things just right. It makes it a much different feeling game that you almost could have done this with two people on their own, but because you're kind of moving them both, you really have to almost split your brain and figure it out.
1: And really, the style isn't brand new. You know, there's similar kind of teamwork-based platformers like Kalimba or Heartstar or Staying Together, but those games are more kind of real-time traditional platformer setup, 2d side-scrolling ideas where this game has that idea but then it makes it into more of the top-down puzzle experience where you're going to contemplate over your entire moves and then like you said since you can see the real time so once you lock in the green guy huey's path once you start drawing the red girl's path you can see him move so you can time it up as best you can though since those obstacles, you know, th- that's more of a, so you get their paths locked in, and then you have to press the play button at the bottom of the screen, and that's kind of its own puzzle in its own right, because you, when you tap it, it's going to change the entire course of the level, so say the obstacles are moving left to right. If you press play when they're on the left, you fail, but if you wait until the obstacles are on the right and you press play, then they're going to be able to succeed. So you then have to lock up the pathways with the timing of the play structure combined together to add an extra layer of puzzling.
0: Right, right. Yeah, you almost have to draw in in line with those movements of when you want them to move. So, like you would watch the obstacles wait to draw that second character until they're at the position where you would think you would hit play and then you can draw and then kind of plan out that whole timeline. And it's that kind of keep on going back and forth and retrying and retrying. Sometimes you don't even need to redraw things. It's just a matter of hitting play at a slightly different moment so that things don't hit. But other times you have to go back to the drawing board and erase someone's line and redraw their path because they're never going to be able to be successful in the way that you drew it. So it's, it's a lot of back and forth till you get it just right. But I never thought, I never felt like it was cumbersome. Like I, I, I like that hunt for the right path. And then you know what you did wrong and you know what you need to correct. And because they give you that second character's movement, if you didn't have that, then it would be like a blind, just drawing lines and hoping for the best. But because you can still kind of plan things out, with that second character that's what i really liked about the game and really
1: they make it so easy to retry over and over because it's that effortless path drawing and then you want to care because they give you that cool checkpoint system where there might be two green and two red crystals to get to once you get to the one it kind of locks you halfway into the level so you don't have to replay all the way over if you do die so it just kind of keeps you going from level to level within a level until you figure out the solution.
0: Right, but even some of those half checkpoints, you might not do the right set first. Right, yeah. <laughs> and then you have to go back and like, oh, wait a minute, no wonder I can't solve this. It's because I went for the wrong set of two first. If I go the other two, then the switches will be in the right locations for me to not to block myself out and then you go back and redo it. So there's so many layers of puzzling in this game and it looks just so straightforward at first, but there's so many nuances there that that's what keeps it really interesting.
1: Yep. And so that's Umiro, it's 2.99, it's universal. And then there's Ovivo because this week is all about funny sounding names. <laughs> <laughs> and so Ovivo is a really interesting platformer in that it's all about kind of changing gravity. Essentially, you're just changing color, but it's really a gravitational switch. So you start out, you're this little black dot, and you're riding on this black kind of waving platform. And then if you tap the screen, you then switch to the white dot, and you can transition to then be able to move on the white portion of the screen. And as you go, it all comes down to trying to maintain momentum so that when you're falling On the black, you are black. And then when you're falling on the white, you are white. And just switching back and forth between the whole color scape. And then they create this whole beautiful design. Everything in the game is just black and white. And yet it's still a beautifully crafted game. As you complete each section of a given level, once you complete the entire thing of like three sections, it zooms out. So you see this kind of like artistic, almost Rorschach style canvas art that you moved through, zoomed in, just by flipping gravity, and now you're zoomed out and you see kind of how far you actually went, what you did, and just all of the kind of details that you're just zoomed in and focused on a little challenge, and you actually are moving through kind of art landscapes.
0: Right, yeah, it just seems like you're moving through little black and white hills, and the hardest part of this game is just kind of getting used to that switching and maintaining momentum and almost using kind of like a slingshot mechanic to get yourself to reach certain dots that you have to collect or these special little symbols that you can bang into that you unlock as you go through the game and i I think that's going to be the deciding factor whether or not you can get a hold of how that works and be comfortable enough with it i think it's going to be kind of you either like the game or that drives you nut nuts and you don't like it and it took me a while to really kind of get the hang of it but once you do it's a nice flow and movement to the game that just it it just is if it feels familiar but different
1: i definitely agree just that flow it takes a while to get into but once you do it really fits with the entire experience of the game. And it's interesting because a few weeks ago we talked about Flow Game, which had a similar mechanic, but it was an endless game. And the mechanic just wasn't as tight, and it wasn't as obvious as when you were flipping gravity and what the result was. And OVIVO seems to just make it more intuitive, where it there is a learning curve, but once you do get into it, that slingshot mechanism you referenced, that's a perfect description, where you are... Because there's like hill climbs that you need to get to. So you need to get in kind of that wavelength idea where you're going up and down and really nailing the slingshot to make it to new heights as the approaching hills grow and climb. And then there's little collectibles to find in the white and black regions where you need to kind of get a little lift to reach them to finally reach that ending platform and
0: complete the level. Right. And well, I think it helps that it is that level based format because I the flow game, it was obnoxious because it was that endless runner and you, or the endless style where you never feel like you're making any progress. Granted, that did have like the, you made it further than you made it before. But at least this, even as you're struggling and in, initially with getting the hang of the controls, You at least feel like you're making progress because you get to see those various things zoom out and you feel like because it's kind of chunked, you can make progress even as you struggle a little bit. And then as you really get the hang of it, then you're going to start to motor through these a little bit faster, but you still always have that sense of progress. You never feel like oh, I got to do this over again because it is different each time because of those different segments of whatever the overall picture you're working on is.
1: Right. The level-based structure just, it fits with the style, so it gives you incentive to want to keep playing, and then it allows the developers to create new sequences to move through because no matter how procedurally generated it is, it's not the same as completely different levels designed, and in this case, to create these new black and white kind of landscapes where they're really ornate and distinct from level to level and that only comes from that setup so it really lends itself to being able to kind of flow through the structure but then have the structures change enough so it's not just tapping kind of mechanically to fit through a wavelength because things are going to change quite A bit, And there's even kind of forking pathways that end up in the same point, but it changes kind of the way you move through the level.
0: Right, right. And there's always that danger of you kind of flowing off into space or dropping off off the screen. And so you really have to play with the space and kind of think negative space and positive space as you keep on flipping. It it just it just drives you a little nuts at first, but it's well worth it.
1: Yep, so that's Ovivo. It's $1.99 and it's Universal. And then there's Candleman, which is a 3D platformer game. It's just that kind of classic action-adventure platformer. But in this case, you play as a little candle who's kind of reminiscent of Lumiere and Chip combined together where you're going to you know, kind of run around. You start out in this like creaking old ship, essentially, with old chains and boxes moving around and the entire scene is shrouded in darkness. So your little candle, all you do is move with your finger on the left side of the screen and then slide up to jump. And then if you tap on the right side of the screen, your candle lights up. And the idea is that there's candles placed throughout the level and you want to light them up to give you more light to the level. And just, they act as kind of collectibles or little checkpoints until you reach the end. And so it all comes down to... You can tap and hold to kind of get a glimpse of what things are coming. So you see that up ahead it goes and there's now a little plank. And if you don't hit that plank, you're just going to fall into nothingness. So if you try to just kind of proceed through the darkness, you might die. But you can just get that glimpse, that little burst of light to help you. Or light candles along the way to have little kind of points of reference of little light. And then there's also some moonlight coming in. And just very seldom used low lighting conditions as the main kind of challenge of the game
0: right and what i love about the game is that this was probably one of my favorite games this week if not my favorite game of the week but as you're moving around it's just this little cute candle that you're moving around but when you light them up A little bit of wax kind of spills off of him. So then you kind of have a little placeholder of where you last lit up. But then he's limited because he's already burning down. So every time you light him up, he loses a little more wax and eventually you can burn him out and then you'll have, you'll lose one of your lives and then you'll kind of start with what you've already triggered, but you kind of have to start over. And So as you're kind of moving around this thing, you kind of take these quick little glimpses to kind of see the map. And then you almost have this memory aspect of, I got to remember everything I see in this one second that I'm going to light things up because I can't keep on lighting things up. Maybe if I can make it over to this other candle over here, at least I can light him up and then he'll give me a little bit more to see. And then hopefully it'll be enough to kind of figure out, where I'm going in the dark but you will have to keep on periodically lighting just to kind of get those glimpses but you do have to use them sparingly so it's almost like a risk reward do I want to just take a chance and just go blindly into the spot but it could drop off and I could die or do I have kind of a rough idea of what I want to do and hopefully I'm going to make it I don't know. overall the game kind of have this It kind of reminded me of Spider, The Secret of Bryce Manor for some reason. It just had like this really well-crafted kind of eerie but fun world that you're in. And then you have these kind of like this cute little candle character and just, I don't know, it was challenging but cute at the same time.
1: I agree with all that and yet I feel like this is the game that I wanted to love and I couldn't love it just because I don't know if it's the pacing of the movement of the character the flow from moving like a jump to st- solid ground it just seems like there was one unbalanced imperfect fine-tuning to the game where you can slide and fall off because it doesn't seem like you can aim the trajectory pro- properly or you're just moving so slowly that he doesn't get the momentum and jump it just seems like everything is a tick slow And I understand it's because it's more puzzly in nature, but it seems like if they just it's tougher to make a 3D platformer on iOS with touch controls. And so it just seems a little bit off with the way the camera maybe doesn't spin completely or it doesn't angle properly. There's just something off. It's not off-putting to enjoy the game. It just wasn't perfect to love the game. And that's that's just me i'm not saying i didn't enjoy it and i'm not going to go back to it but it's not enjoyable as it could have been
0: yeah i definitely think they need to tweak the controls a bit it would definitely benefit benefit from external controller support which this was originally i believe on xbox one playstation and steam so people are already playing this with uh, joysticks and physical controls I think even if they didn't have the physical controller support, if they just allowed you to adjust the sensitivity a little bit, I think that would go a long way to allow you, because I did notice that as well, where I would kind of try to get that momentum or just kind of get myself moving, and then every once in a while I felt like it stuttered, and then that was the reason maybe I fell or didn't make the jump or miss, or even if it wasn't something that killed me, it was something that slowed me down which shouldn't have happened where if it had just been a little more sensitive or a little a little quicker then i think it would have worked better and so i did run into those everything every once in a while but overall i could look past that and just because of the charminess of the game and just the that whole, like, it's not a, a common idea to have this pretty much one in darkness, but then when you get those glimpses of light, everything is so beautifully rendered that you almost kind of want to burn the candle down just to see everything because you don't know what you're missing in there because it, it, there's just so much nice scenery to look at.
1: Yeah, the environments are absolutely gorgeous. And I think really, the more I try to place it, it's the way the character kind of jumps and then his land is super slow. Like it seems like you might get landed on a swinging block and then it just takes him an extra tick to land or you didn't build up enough momentum in the run. Cause you thought you were running faster, but he doesn't really ever get up to speed that you would want and you just miss it. And so it seems like the only deaths I had, I wanted to blame on the controls and not, that might not be a perfect blame or explanation, but if it even feels like that, it kind of takes, it's a more of a distraction.
0: Right. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. I mean, the deaths that I usually had, unless I, I was running, like trying to risk things and just go against it and just take my chances, the deaths that I had were definitely due to a stutter in the control because I could see where I needed to jump. I jumped where I needed to jump. But like you said, it felt like you almost were a little too slow that you should have made this jump, but you didn't and the timing just seemed that slight, tiny bit off that it just kind of was slightly annoying because you knew that it wasn't your fault.
1: Yep. And so that's not to say the game is bad. It's a definite standout release. It's just hopefully they go back to it and fine-tune the controls just a little bit or the, how fast the character moves, how quick he falls down from a jump. Yep. And that's Candleman. It's two ninety nine. It's Universal. And then to round out the week, it's the start of baseball season 2018. So MLB has RBI Baseball 18. And if you've played any of the past versions, you know that my main or you've heard any of our podcasts, you know that my main complaint with the series has been a lack of franchise mode where you can play, you know, a game and that's fine. It's quick and whatever. But the appeal kind of, of sports simulation game versus an arcade sports game is a franchise mode. And so they've included it in 2018. And not only that, you can actually simulate games. So they had season mode before, but you had to play all 162 games. And so now you can simulate games. So you can go right to the playoffs or jump to the all-star break or, simulate through whatever section of the game because 162 games is a long season and you don't want to cut it down to a shorter season because part of the appeal of baseball is statistics compiled over time and so now they have that you can play franchise mode it's a 10 season campaign and then you can simulate individual game or sections of games individual games you can play whichever games you choose the only piece they don't have to make it really the complete feature offering is the ability to simulate within a game So say you want to play just the first couple innings and then fast forward and just play the 7th, 8th, and ninth. That's not possible. You can do that on MLB The Show. It hasn't made it to RBI baseball on mobile devices yet. Hopefully next year now that they have this infrastructure in place.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad you got your franchise mode. See, to me, (laughs) I just hop in and I play like a single game here and there. I don't really... Well, maybe I wouldn't now that I can simulate games, but I wasn't about to play through the entire season. So normally when I went in and I I just played, like, single games here and there, and I played... I believe I played last year's. It was either... 17 or 16 was the last one I played. The actual gameplay feels very similar. I mean it I don't think much changed there. It's more of the other features that you just mentioned that were added. I believe they did a few other graphical tweaks here and there, but otherwise it's that same kind of controls and setup that you're used to if you've liked RBI baseball in the past you're going to, you will you'll enjoy this one and you get all the current rosters and everything. So, uh, you might as well upgrade to the latest.
1: And so part of the problem with the gameplay though, since the, so they enhanced the player models and the stadium models. So it looks more authentic for the different players, the different pitchers windups and the different parks that you go to, but the actual gameplay is kind of not touched at all. And so, It's really tough to score, mainly because the defense can get to almost any hit that you could possibly... Like, there's one that looks like it's heading to the gap for a double, and the dude pretty much flies to it, and you're out. So it's tough to string hits together. I found that the only kind of way to score is by hitting home runs, and that's a lot more based on luck than skill, because the idea is that you can move your player left and right to get a better angle of the plate or coverage of the plate versus the pitch coming in and then time it up. And it's just a lot tougher. And then on the other, the flip side, so it's tough to score, but it's tough for your opponent to score. Pitching is really easy in this game. You can get people out because your defenders are super athletes too, so they can cover most <laughs> of the field when any balls are put into play. And so it I wish that like I understand they're going for simulation, but If you extract the idea where you work into counts, then it's not really a simulation. All the computer players swing at pretty much every pitch you throw up there unless it's way out of the zone. So they're swinging at the first pitch. That's not a simulation in its own right. So if you take that kind of out, then maybe you should go for more of an arcade baseball experience where more balls drop, more runs are scored, and more fun to be had. Because unless you're playing the strategy of baseball it's not really a simulation. So you kind of have this half simulation idea with this half arcade pacing idea, and it's just at odds.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely noticed that they will swing at pretty much anything unless it's an obvious, like, you're aiming it at them or you're just way off the plate. There's no way they're going to hit that. But, yeah, I see, I'm trying to remember, because last year I know I played a bunch of different baseball games. This year so far, this is the only one i played. One of them allowed you to do, change some of that kind of stuff. And I don't remember which one. It obviously wasn't this. I forget yeah. what it was, where <laughs> they let you kind of change the difficulty, change uh, certain things. Because I remember I, I couldn't even score on one of these games. I mean, I couldn't even. I think it was like, this one. They were one. striking me. At, <laughs> it was this one? I don't yeah. know. I'm bad at these games anyways. <laughs> but I, I couldn't remember which one it was. But I know last year I played a bunch of them but yeah so rbi
1: baseball 18 has the feature set but the gameplay hopefully it comes along for rbi baseball 19 but if you already like the gameplay then the 18 version is their best one yet just in terms of updated rosters and the new franchise yep and so rbi baseball 18 at 699 is universal and i think that's everything for episode 61
0: yep that's all i got
1: to everyone listening we hope you enjoyed and we'll talk to you next time talk to
0: you later